0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: Let's talk about the blood covenant for just a few moments. Can I give you an overview? First animal sacrifice we see taking place comes after Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says God made skins for them. Well, where did he get the skins? God didn't say let there be skins. Where did he get the skins? He sacrificed an animal. How do we know? Because the very next thing the Bible tells us, the next chapter of Genesis, tells us about Cain and Abel offering a sacrifice. How did they learn? God must have shown Adam and Eve, here's the price that has to be paid every time sin is committed. You've sinned on behalf of mankind, there has to be a sacrifice. That's where they got the skins. God shows them, he teaches them. A blood sacrifice has to be offered. And the result is now they're closed. But the more important thing is there was a temporary covering for their sins. That must be the case because the Bible doesn't tell us that Cain and Abel were instructed of God about sacrifices. They must have learned it from their parents who must have learned it from God. And you remember the sacrifice Cain and Abel made. Abel brings the sacrifice of blood. Cain brings the crops that he grows himself. He tries to do it his own way, and that's not accepted by God. Well, what does that mean? That means blood has to be spilled on behalf of sin. Noah's flood, or the flood in Noah's day, the Bible tells us that, that God instructs Noah to build an ark. He goes uh, through the the um, uh, all the everything involved in in preparing the place. God brings the animals to them. It says the clean animals of the earth, he brought seven pairs or 14 animals. That's all that was left of any clean species, uh, one pair for unclean animals. The Bible tells us after the flood, after the, the ark finally settles, it says Noah leaves, builds an altar unto God and offers one animal of every clean or one uh, sacrifice of every clean animal. That means one fourteenth of every species was offered. As a burnt offering. Why? Because it's a new start. The flood has cleansed the earth, but now the sacrifice is made on behalf of sins. Can you imagine what would happen with the animal rights people if something like that happened today? (laughs) Fourteen animals left and you're going to kill one of each species. Well, wait a minute. The animal rights people got killed in the flood. Never mind. Forget that. (laughs) The point is, A blood sacrifice is really important to God. Very important to God. It goes through to Abraham. Abraham enters into a blood covenant. Now, Abraham starts off with obedience to promises. In Genesis chapter 12, it tells us about how God speaks to Abraham and says, follow me, go where I tell you to go, and I'll bless you. That's all he's got. He's got a promise. If you obey me, then I will do certain things for you. That's all he's got. He doesn't have a covenant. Genesis chapter 15 is when he enters into a covenant. God talks to him about his seed being like the stars of the sky. And Abraham says, how will I know that I'll inherit the land? What does God do? He commands him to, to make sacrifice. He offers a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. Abraham's not the one that enters into the sacrifice. He just kills the animals. He separates the animals uh, side by side. Then God causes a deep sleep to fall upon him. And in his deep sleep, his his stupor, whatever this, I don't know what to, what to, to relate to this thing, but he sees certain things. And as he watches what takes place, he sees two things walking back and forth between these the, the split animals and the, the blood that's shed on the ground which is the terms of a covenant. That's the way you offered, uh, entered into covenant in Old Testament days. Now, folks, you need to understand, a covenant is not just a Bible ritual. Every culture on the face of the earth has some blood covenant ritual as a part of their, their history. Everybody. What does that tell us? That tells us this idea came from God, not just from somebody else. Because there's nobody that traveled to all the different cultures to teach somebody about, about blood covenants and offering sacrifices. It's got to be something that originated from God. So Abraham enters into a covenant with God. It sees He sees two beings walk back and forth. One represents God and one represents Jesus. Or one was God and one was Jesus. Now, why is God making a covenant with Jesus? Because Jesus represents Abraham. See, folks, you need to understand the covenant, the old covenant, and the covenant that's still in place today, the Bible says we have the blessings of Abraham because we're redeemed by Christ. The blessings that belong to us were not because Abraham obeyed God. They were because Jesus represented Abraham. And if we're in Christ, Abraham's promises are ours. See, it goes beyond just a human being keeping the commandments. It goes beyond just a human being obeying what God said to do. It's God making a covenant with Jesus, his son, on behalf of Abraham and the children that he would produce. Not spiritual, I mean, not uh, natural Israel, but spiritual Israel. That makes sense. The Bible says in Galatians chapter three, or Galatians chapter two. I'm sorry, that God preached the gospel unto Abraham. He told him about Jesus. He told him what Jesus would do. Well, Abraham's covenant is modified, or, or ratified, codified. Maybe a better way to say it. Through the covenant that, uh, through the instruction that God gives to Moses. And everything about the old covenant, everything about the law was two things, the commandment and the sacrifice that made up the old covenant as they knew in the law of Moses. The first part was the commandments—six hundred 630 commandments that nobody could keep. The purpose for the commandments was not for you to keep the commandments. The purpose of the commandments from God's standpoint was to show you, you couldn't keep the commandments. The second thing was the sacrifice and man, there were sacrifices all over the place. Sacrifice were being made right and left. We think of the Day of Atonement, we think of the, uh, the Passover, and those were the two big ones, but there was blood being shed in every aspect, and that was the, that's not the only sacrifice that was made, but the majority of the sacrifices of the Old Covenant were blood sacrifices. For the purpose of showing people that your lives revolved around making sacrifice. What was it intended to teach? That you couldn't do it on your own. You can't keep the commandments. And you need a redeemer. You need a sacrifice. Both of those pointed to Jesus. Look with me to Matthew chapter uh, 16. Let's start reading in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some say Elias. That means Elijah. And others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, folks, uh, you need to understand something. Judaism does not believe in reincarnation. Reincarnation is not part of the uh, Judaic philosophies. So why are people thinking he's somebody from the past? It's easier for them to believe something that's contrary to their core beliefs and their core principles and the law of Moses that they say they follow than it is to believe that he's the one that was promised. It's amazing to me people will come up with all kinds of theories. They'll come up with all kinds of ideas about how things work and what's going to happen in the future and all this kind of stuff instead of believing what the Bible says simply is the truth. It's amazing. So Jesus asked them and says, but who do you say that I am? And folks, that is the issue for mankind. Who do you say that I am? Doesn't matter who other people say. Or what other people say about Jesus? Who do you say he is? Simon Peter answers and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 16. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, folks, you remember what he talked in in John chapter 6 about? He said, You can't come to me except the Father draw you. In other words, you're going to have to listen to what God's saying on the inside in order to accept me. Because there's always going to be reasons on the outside not to. There's always going to be thoughts, there's always going to be circumstances, there's always going to be questions, there's always going to be something in every aspect of the Word of God, whether it's related to Jesus specifically in salvation or whether it's related to any of the promises or the blessings that He obtained for us. There's always going to be something standing in the way. So it comes down to a choice. You're going to have to choose to accept something from the inside as truth instead of just the thoughts and the doubts and the circumstances outside That's why there's a choice involved. In the same way, he said, Here, Peter, you know that I'm the Christ because you've accepted what my Father showed you inside. Folks, that's how you know. That's how you know the Bible's true. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed.
0: Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church. Come, be a part of our family, as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building
1: strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this Sunday, you, Peter. You've been operating from your inside, from what God has told you on the inside, from what my father has revealed in the, on the inside of you. Flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, the rock of the knowledge of who Jesus is, not Peter. Thank God we're not built on Peter. We're built on Peter. or We built on Peter when he was in or when he was out. Now the rock he's talking about is the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say, I might build the church. He didn't say, here's my best chance to build the church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Folks, I would submit to you that the church is only ever going to be as strong as our confidence that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, for a lot of people, that just means he went to the cross and died for our sins. Okay, well, he did that. But if we're going to accept who Jesus said that he was... And what the Bible says about him, that means a lot more than just the forgiveness of sins. It means redemption from spiritual death, from poverty and from sickness. It means all the blessings of God that he attained for us. It means a restoration to a place of authority and a place being created into a person of righteousness. And if the church is not strong in those areas, it'll never be strong. Which is the reason the church is in such a mess as it's in. The church struggles with, well, I don't feel righteous. Who cares? He didn't say upon this rock, I will build my church and you will feel righteous. Wouldn't it be nice if he had said some of that stuff? Behold, I give unto you authority over the devil and you'll always feel strong. That would have been cool. That's not what he said. That's not where authority comes from. It doesn't come from the feeling of being strong. Righteousness doesn't come from the feeling of being worthy. It comes from the truth of God's word. No matter how you feel. Thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One translation says the gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against it. I like that. Because so many people have the idea that hell is advancing and the church is retreating. Verse 19, and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Folks, the church has the keys of the kingdom of heaven. They may not be using them. They may not even know where the keys are anymore. They may have lost them in the junk drawer. But the church has the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, without talking about binding and loosing, you can certainly see he's talking about authority. Whatever you think binding and loosening means, we can all agree that he's talking about the church having authority, right? No question about that. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Notice verse 21. Here's, here's what I, the whole reason I wanted to come over here. Verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show. The word show means to clearly teach. From that time forth, Jesus began to clearly teach. Unto his disciples, how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. From Matthew chapter 16 forward, he's clearly teaching them, not everybody else, but he's clearly teaching them privately. Here's how it's going to be when I go to Jerusalem. I'm going to have to suffer a lot of things. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised again the third day. Jesus expects these guys to spend those three days checking their watch. To spend these three days excited because now we're here. Here's the new day. Here's the new covenant. Certainly they accepted part of it. And that's the reason why in the the Last Supper, nobody is arguing with him when he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Why? Because he's been clearly teaching them for weeks. Here's how it's going to be. Here's how it's going to be. Bible tells us that the the week between uh, Palm Sunday and Easter was a very momentous time. Because Jesus is doing a lot of stuff in there. Jesus comes in triumphantly. On Palm Sunday, people are screaming Hosanna to fulfill the Old Testament scripture. I think, it's, uh, I think it's Matthew's account that says that it would be fulfilled. And it combines three or four different scriptures about Jesus being the king. It was necessary for the people to accept Jesus as their king in order for him to be their sacrifice. That's what Palm Sunday was all about. Luke's account says that the, the Pharisees got upset when people are singing Hosanna to the king. The Pharisees tell Jesus and his disciples, you need to make these people be quiet. That's when Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If they held their peace, the rocks themselves would cry out. Now, that's interesting because rocks represent Jerusalem, the city, not the people. It's necessary for Jerusalem, certainly the people, but Jerusalem to accept Jesus as the king who has come to deliver. Without that, Jesus couldn't have been sacrificed. That was the significance of Palm Sunday. The people had to accept Jesus as their king. Now, folks, we think of things differently today than how they used to work. For example, in David's time, you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? You know why David got in trouble with Bathsheba? No, I mean, this is a real question. Of course, you know why he got in trouble with Bathsheba. But what I'm asking is, do you know why the Bible says that he got in trouble with Bathsheba? Because it says at the time that kings go out to make war, David stayed home and saw her from the balcony. If he had been where he was supposed to be, never would have saw her, never would have seen her. Bathe never would have gotten into the trouble. The whole reason that she's outside taking the bath is because she thinks that the king, whose house is higher than hers, is gone because it's the time when kings go to make war. Kings used to be their own champions or used to be the champions of the people. The story of David and Goliath, Saul was the one as the king of Israel that should have gone out to be the champion of Israel. That's how kings were developed in those days. They were the military champions. That's why when David goes out and kills Goliath, all of a sudden everybody starts looking at David and saying, David's slain, as, Saul's slain his thousands and David's slain as 10,000. Because now he becomes the champion. So when Jesus comes in, pronounced as the king, he's being pronounced as the champion of the people. In other words, it's the people saying we accept him as our champion. Our king, our deliverer. Then the Bible tells us about the things that took place during the week. First thing it says is that Jesus went to the temple and threw out the money changers. He cleansed the temple. Why? Because that's what a champion does to put things back in right spiritual order. Tells us about the healings that took place. Jesus did as many or more healings in that last week than any other time that we we have record of. At least we have more recorded events. ...of healings in that last week. He even healed in the temple when he threw the money changers out. healed the sick. Tells us that he did a lot of significant things. The story of Jesus cursing the fig tree in Mark chapter 11... ...happened in that last week between Palm Sunday and Easter. Then it gets to the end of the week, the Last Supper... ...and it tells us about the things that took place... ...while they were eating together... ...and then it tells us about Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Folks, there were several important places that Jesus spilled his blood... One was the Garden of Gethsemane. He spilled his blood, submitting himself to the will and the plan and the purpose of God. There are certain places that in following his example, you're going to suffer. One is to submit your will to God's plan. Then he's betrayed. After the Garden of Gethsemane, he's betrayed. He's taken before The high priest first and foremost. Why? Because the sacrifice had to be examined by the priest and found to be without spot or blemish. So the high priest takes Jesus, or the people take him to Jesus, or take him to the high priest, and the high priest has this whole thing set up. He's been working with Judas to betray him. He's got this whole thing set up. They've got false witnesses, but the false witnesses can't even get their stories right. They get tripped up on their own lies. And as a result, nobody can bring accusation against Jesus. Nobody can say there's something that he's done wrong until Jesus. So one of the false witnesses says, well, I heard Jesus say he'd tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Of course, Jesus is talking about his death and his burial and his resurrection. And then Jesus questioned about it. Jesus said, yeah, that's what I said. And then the high priest says he's blaspheming. We don't need any more witnesses. He's blaspheming. Well, is is telling the truth blasphemy? So first, the people accepting him as their king. Secondly, the high priest examines him and can't find anything worthy of death in him. But they send him to Pilate. Then Pilate examines him. Jesus keeps his mouth shut before Pilate. Pilate says, I don't find anything worthy of death in this man. And the Jews start screaming. And these weren't the people. This were the, the religious leaders, the ones. The crowd was probably stacked by the Jews and the Pharisees. They start screaming, He's got to be killed. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So what does Pilate do? Pilate says, well, I'm not planning to to crucify or kill this guy. There's nothing he's done that's worthy of death, but I'll have him beaten just to satisfy you. So that's where he takes the stripes upon his back and he bleeds. Now, the stripes upon his back back are not what we know of, like in, in cowboy pictures where somebody's horse whipped or something like that. These were not marks on his back. The flesh was ripped off of his back. Now, why? Was that because that's what Pilate intended? No, Pilate did not intend that. Pilate's just trying to do something so that they can let this guy go. He still thinks Jesus wants to be free. Natural assumption. So he's just trying to give him some kind of little punishment where he can say he did something, but the Roman soldiers just really take off on Jesus. Rip the flesh off of his back. And when I say the flesh, I'm talking about the meat, the muscles off of his back with these scourges and the whips and things that they're using. The Bible says by the stripes of Jesus, literally the mark of the blow upon Jesus, you were healed. Goes back to Pilate. Pilate still wants to let him go. Washes his hands, says this man's blood is not on our hands. There's I won't turn to the scripture. There's a scripture that the Bible tells us about. uh, When when Pilate washes his hands in water says, my hands are clean. The people, again, these are the Pharisees and their crowd, the mob that they set up. The people say, his blood be upon us and upon our children. Do they have any idea what they're saying? No, no clue. They're saying, we'll take responsibility for his death. Now, who are they? They're the religious leaders. They're the ones that are responsible for examining the sacrifice on behalf of Israel. Now, folks, Jesus is fulfilling everything about the old covenant. He's the Passover lamb who was shed for us. And the blood on the doorpost causes the death, the judgment of death to pass over us. But Jesus is also the, uh, uh, the sacrificial lamb, the day of atonement lamb. So he's dying for the sins of the people. And in both cases, blood is necessary to protect the people. So when they say his blood be upon us and our children, they're not saying we, the natural, uh, nation of Israel, take responsibility for his death. They're saying we, the children of Abraham, will accept his blood upon us. And folks, that's what you do when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Consider this. The reason it was important in the Old Testament for the high priest to examine the sacrifice is because if there was any blemish, any spot, any impurity in the lamb, it didn't qualify as a worthy sacrifice. Jesus met that qualification. The reason that the, that the Romans had to carry it out is so that Jesus didn't just die for the Jews, but so that he died for all of mankind. The Romans represented the Gentile world. So Jesus is dying at the will of the Jews, and he's dying at the will of the Gentiles. Why is that significant? So that the sacrifice could be for all of mankind. John said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, not the sin of the Jews, the sin of the world. Jesus shed blood in Pilate's court, specifically get this specifically God planned from the beginning that there would have to be a punishment paid for physical sickness. And that would be the price that Jesus paid. That's what happened in Pilate's court. That didn't happen on the cross that happened in Pilate's court. What was it about the blood of Jesus that was significant? Well, remember Jesus was born of a virgin. That means instead of a, male sperm coming into contact with a female egg to create the bloodstream as well as the blood system, the circulatory system, as well as everything else that's developed in in a newborn baby. That means he's got God's DNA. Now, I don't know what that is. And I don't pretend to know it. I'm not saying that there was a specific gene, God gene or something. Who in the world would know? But I do know this. I know that the source of that which joined together in Mary, that which created Jesus in conception, had a spiritual source, not a natural source. First time that's ever happened in in humanity. Adam and Eve were created as adults. There was the first time, for the first time ever, there was a God particle, a God element that join together with a human element to create a human being. Everything that Jesus' blood touches is made pure. Naturally and spiritually. Everything that the blood of Jesus touches was made pure. That means if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you are saved by his blood. That means you are made righteous, whether you ever feel righteous here on this earth. I'm convinced we'll, we'll feel righteous when we get to heaven. To whatever degree you feel. I, I don't know how that works either. But no matter what you feel, the blood of Jesus purifies everything that it comes in contact with. Everything that it comes in contact with. When Jesus said to the disciples, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, he's saying, I'm cutting something new. There's going to be a new spill of blood to provide a new kind of life. And that's the life you have if you've made Jesus your Lord. It's amazing to me how churches shy away from the blood of Jesus. Because that blood is everything. That blood is everything. Without the blood of Jesus, we have nothing more than the Jews had under the law of Moses. Without the blood of Jesus... There is no righteousness. There is no new birth. There is no right standing with God. There is no place for us in heaven. The blood of Jesus is everything. Absolutely everything. There's nothing more important than the blood of Jesus. For by it the punishment for spiritual death was paid. And therefore we are redeemed from sin, sickness, and poverty. Thanks for joining us today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed.
0: Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church. Come, be a part of our family as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikewebb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.